1: We would be honored if you would
0: join us. Welcome back to another Rebel Podcast. As always, you got the OG Rebels, Pootie and Nate. I just thought I'd throw that out there. The OG? The old gangster Rebels? Is that what we are? Oh, is that what OG stands for? I just assume that's what that means. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, it works.
0: Whatever. How you doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I was just, uh, I was just telling a story about uh, just an endeavor that I had, you know, dad home with the kids last night and you know, one of them fell off and probably off the couch and probably got a concussion. The other one was naked and peeing all over the floor in the midst of trying to ice the other one's head. It was chaos.
0: Here's what I've learned about parenting. (laughs) So this is going to be some straight wisdom. You haven't really done it until your kids are in the eMERGE all the time, and there's like nurses who are on standby. So let me just ask you one question. What was your first thing that you did after the kid got hurt? You called the doctor.
1: (laughs) I did, yeah. Thankfully, we have a doctor in the family. I don't know if she's very thankful to be in the family, but she gets a call from us once a week. Hey, should I go to the eMERGE for this? Uh, she talked me out of it last night. And then while I was on the phone trying to decide whether or not I'd take my kid with a head injury <laughs> to the emergency room, the other one crawls out of the bathtub and starts peeing <laughs> over the floor. So I got I got somebody on the phone that I'm trying to talk to. I got the kid with the head injury crying and screaming. And then one kid coming out crying and screaming because I left him in the tub and I drained the water. Like, I'm not that neglectful. And so it obviously got cold on him. And so then he walks out, like gets out of the tub and comes back like, hey, you forgot about me. I'll show you. It's just peeing all over the floor. It was, oh, it was a nightmare. It, it, in
0: the mind, you have to, you have to assume the kid was walking out and was like, how can I possibly make this situation worse? Totally.
1: Totally. Like yeah.
0: the sinful nature to yeah. just be like, I'm just going to pee. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. I there know was, I'm not supposed to. It was
1: the, it was the second lowest point in my like fatherhood. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that he's said second lowest. Yeah. The lowest was actually, uh, when we only had Quinn and there was one point where they both had the flu. So Quinn and my wife, Colleen, had the flu. And so Colleen was upstairs, like dead to the world, sleeping. And Quinn, <laughs> Quinn who had just had like explosive, uh, oh no, sorry, she had vomited all over the place. And she had had diarrhea in her diaper at the time. She, uh, this was before she was potty trained. And so I'm I'm changing her and trying to clean up the vomit and while she's standing there without a diaper she once again has diarrhea all over the floor (laughs) and I got and I'm on my own I got the bathtub I got the shower running because I was about to hose her off in the shower like it was just so those are the two points that come to mind when I think about like low points of parenting and those are two points where you just feel utterly alone and like the thing about parenting is true about anything like when I got my own church, I felt this way, and then like when you get your own house, there's certain times where it's like this is my responsibility. You know what I mean? Like when you're at home and you live with your parents or something like that, like you know if you if you flood the dishwasher or something like that, like dad takes care. Dad of it. takes care of it, but like you're the guy now, so like you know, uh, you get water in the basement or something. That's that's on you. You know the the kid poops on the floor. That's on you. There's there's nobody to call. So anyway, it was a grown up moment where I wasn't. I, w- I was not very good at being a grown-up. <laughs> no, adulting's hard. Adulting. Like, I'll let me just,
0: I can relate. Mm-hmm. I was at home last night, you know, after a long day of work. Yeah. Heather and I, my wife, we put in a movie, and it skipped for a moment, and I was losing my mind, Hey, yeah. That's so bad. Like, yeah. so we both know suffering. <laughs> you know? What that yeah, that's happened. right.
1: I hate you. I hate I'm you. I'm just kidding. That, I'm you had kidding. a cold beer in your hand, but still, the, it was, you know, the, the video was skipping a bit, so. Yeah, like, it was, it was tough. You're it was tough. Jerk, yeah.
0: your, life is hard.
1: Uh, So that's how I'm doing. Uh, Obviously, your life is just peachy keen over there, so I'm not even going to ask. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we are the Rebels, and uh, we are part of the Rebel Alliance media, uh, so we have a lineup of podcasts. We have the uh, the Van Bremmers who come out, Awakening Reformation podcast that comes out on Tuesdays. Uh, they do one Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids on Mondays with their kids, so if you're listening to this and you're looking for a podcast that you can listen to with the whole family, that's uh, Fathers of the Faith that comes out on Mondays. You got us, the Rebels, on uh, Wednesdays, and then uh, blog posts and everything, and also an Advent series from the Van Bremmers. that's going to be coming out shortly that we're super stoked about Uh, so lots going on check us out at rebelalliancemedia.com and uh, you can support us there financially you can support us using the currency of the internet by just liking and sharing this this episode and uh, helping us out on our social media pages Um, other than that we're going to jump into some rebel news you got one ready to go or do you want me to go first you hit me okay so this one's uh, actually pretty close to home uh we we've talked about this lady before um but uh her name is greta vosper she's a she's a i'm doing air quotes right now for those of you listening she's a reverend in the united church in toronto so just a couple hours up the highway from us and uh she came out several years ago as an atheist right so we've talked about this uh this lady before the atheist minister in the united church in toronto um, but what's interesting is that uh, the, the sort of heresy trial or whatever it was um, that uh, was trying to discern whether or not she gets to keep her credentials, the ruling came out and she gets to keep her credentials. So this atheistic um, pastor, once again, I'm using air quotes, uh, who wrote a book called With or Without God by Greta Vosper. Um, the tagline for the book is why the way we live is more important than what we believe. Which is actually the antithesis of the gospel. <clears throat> so, anyway, she got to keep her credentials. So, what do you think, Pooty, about a uh, an atheistic female pastor of a United Church in Toronto? How does that make you feel?
0: Well, there's there's a lot of things wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. um, the first thing, first thought I have is. Calvin's just got to be spinning in his grave right now, oh, eh? Man, yeah. She's thinking. Like, Back in my day, this would have never happened. Yeah. No, I'm just yeah, joking. She, yeah, she'd uh, have been
1: burned at the stake. <laughs> that's, long
0: where, long. that's where it was going. Yeah. You just came out and I said just, it. I just said you it. You just yeah. said it. Uh, yeah, this is this is this is unbelievable to me. Yeah, it's crazy. So hold on. You can keep your credentials. Yep. Yeah. By basically admitting you don't believe anything that your credentials stand for. So what exactly is she a reverend of? Yeah. So right. she's a self-help guru is this what she, like i don't understand what her title her title implies something reverend implies something
1: well so here's the thing and i was kind of making fun of this and this is where i think you're going with that so i just want to get your feedback on this i just don't imagine like what's she preaching about on sundays we should pull you know what we should actually pull up let's do a video on this we'll pull up one of her sermons and we'll just because i i imagine it's like you know the God who may or may not exist may or may not provide you comfort for the situation that you may or may not be going through, and the way you respond in that circumstance may or may not be the kind of response that the God who may or may not exist may or may not be pleased or angered by. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, she has to. I just I don't, I don't understand what she would be preaching. I, I imagine that she would be preaching, you know, just be a good person based on the tagline of her book, but. Good is subjective if you don't believe the Bible. And that's what she came out as. I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the Bible. So by what standard? Like good by what standard? You know what I mean? And and so even the advice she gives, like does she put a caveat at the end of every sermon that says like, you know, as you hear this and, and you know, filter it through your truth, you know, take the parts that are good for you. And, and you, like, I just don't understand. I don't understand. When you have no objective standard, what are you appealing to? Like what? What's the basis?
0: You know, the basis of her is how she feels. I'm assuming, right? It's all um, feeling.
1: I w- I would love to.
0: I I'm actually going to ask right now. I would love if somebody who knows of this church say they have a guest speaker who would like to like to come in and yeah, preach there. West just,
1: Hill United Church in Toronto. My
0: new goal, 2019, is that goals. next year. Yeah. It's goals. just to preach at that church one time. I'll oh like, man! <laughs> like, <laughs> you need, yeah. Open your Bibles. Let's go Romans nine. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> just <like> Romans one. <laughs> let's start there. Right. The wrath of God is poured out on all mankind. <laughs> How long do you think you can get it before they just start throwing oh, well, tomatoes? I don't know. As soon as you said open your Bibles, I would imagine <laughs> I don't know. But okay, so
0: you, you have to be proud mm-hmm. of us though so far because we've talked about this for five minutes and we didn't mention the fact that she's a woman preaching,
1: which is. A problem in and of itself And actually I'm looking at a, a picture of her right now She's not wearing a head covering grant So, <laughs> so, so, so we all got a bone to pick with her Does she baptize babies? Uh, United Church uh, But I don't even know if she I, I can't imagine they would baptize I don't know So here's the thing um, This is ridiculous She's not a pastor That's not a church And the United Church is apostate Next <laughs> Right? Like at the end of the day That's that's all they got there Here's another one for you. This one's this one's just funny because of the uh, the title. So this is a uh, CBC news article. Uh, UN committee declares all sovereign nations must legalize abortion. So I I, I (laughs) read that that again, slower, for people. (laughs) Yeah. UN committee declares that all sovereign nations must legalize abortion. (laughs) Like, sovereign nation must, does not compute. No, that doesn't um, make any sense. <laughs> so here's what the article goes on to say. The Human Rights Committee at the United Nations office in Geneva has adopted a radically pro-abortion document that could have lasting implications for pro-life laws worldwide. The document, known as General Comment Number 36, is the first of its kind to declare that all sovereign uh, nations must legalize abortion in the cases of rape incest health of the mother and when the pregnancy is not quote viable so there's all kinds of things that i'd love to say about this first of all I, like how sad is it that you and i would look at that and we say i hope canada adopts that <laughs> it's like in all seriousness not because that's a good end game in and of itself but that that would be better abortion laws than what canada currently has so yeah. that would actually be a step that, in the right direction that would actually us. be a law yeah that would we don't yeah, have we currently. don't have a law so, um, but it, so there's two things I wanted to get your, your, you to respond to on this. Number one, just the ridiculousness of that title, right? That the, the UN has declared that all sovereign nations must do something. And again, I would just say like, or what?
0: Yeah, this, this is, that's kind of when we were talking about this one, we actually talked about before yeah. air. And that was basically my, my comment then was. What are they going to do? Are they going to? Are we going to World War Three because we haven't legalized abortion with with the Human
1: Rights Committee? They don't have an <laughs> army. <laughs> exactly. Geneva. Like, they make they make they make uh, Canada's army look half decent. <laughs> like, <Exactly. laughs> they have two
0: boats. Yeah, <laughs> it's like pretty and all ours is. <laughs> That's so uh, terrible. The, it, the is a dude with a
1: handgun strapped to a plane, cro- <laughs> a crop dusting planes wing. <laughs> that's, a, that's those are our fighter uh, jets. <clears throat> All right, Canada is under a high opinion
0: of its own military. If, <laughs> no. you, if you haven't caught that, no, I, I just think that I think that's unbelievably hilarious of a title to be like, we we recognize your sovereignty over your own laws and whatnot, but you must ab- adopt this document and this law. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Sorry, regardless of what what I think, you can't make me do whatever. Like politically, you can't make us do whatever we want right. because we elect our officials. And
1: you're not elected, exactly. <laughs> not are, we, by
0: me, exactly. Nobody in Canada has ever voted for anybody in Geneva, mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. The other thing is, is I I would also like to point out Canada wouldn't have to follow that anyway because we have a king. So <laughs> King Trudeau, <laughs> yeah, so he go. wouldn't <laughs> he wouldn't follow that anyway. <laughs> well,
1: he he'd, well, he would. He well no, he would. No, that's he'd too soft yet. for that him. That is way too. So. Um the the other the only other thing I wanted to comment on that is like Geneva the the height from which you have fallen oh, right true. like you know what I mean like this is this is a place where John Calvin used to have you know what was colloquially called John Calvin's school of death where everybody who graduated went on to, well, almost everyone who, who graduated went on to uh, to die um, by the sword and become martyrs for the faith during the time of the Protestant Reformation. So um, how sad it is that uh, the the, the hard fought battles of our forebears are surrendered, um, you know, even in a place where um, that was so instrumental. So anyway, there's rebel news. Um We're going to jump into a break and then we are going to come back with uh, just kind of talking through cultural blind spots and kind of uh, the cultural landscape of the time. We have some cool things to talk about that I think will uh, help you think through the culture a little bit. So uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Dave,
0: the Rebel Alliance Media Tech Guy here. Have you got something you want to tell Rebel listeners about? Now your commercial can be heard right here. The Rebel Podcast gets ten to 15,000 hits each episode. Great weekly exposure for your business. For more information, visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the Rebels at info at Media.com. Thank you. Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? Rebelalliancemedia.com It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebel's video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmers. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series, and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the Donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting RebelAllianceMedia.com. Well, welcome back um, as we said before the break we're, we're going to talk about cult- cultural blind spots this week um, this this idea of birth basically you commented on in your last couple sermons you preached through Philemon actually it was one sermon but yeah um, and you mentioned the idea of slavery and how that at that time was not something that Christianity abolished we the letter doesn't specifically condemn slavery. But it was a cultural blind spot, and as time goes on, obviously we've recognized the sin in slavery. Right, and so I got we got, th- we got and, thinking, and we
1: and just just so that we're not uh, opening ourselves up. So we basically said that the the natural outworking of the gospel would lead to Christians not being able to be slave owners, right? So it's not that the letter itself was condemning Philemon for being a slave owner, but essentially calling him to live in accordance with the gospel, which eventually would eradicate slavery. In and amongst Christians, or ought to, so. But the point is, is that Philemon, who had a home church at the time, right? Like he was, he was obviously a a well respected Christian. Um, even mature Christians can have cultural blind spots that are sin, and uh, and so that's kind of how the application worked itself out.
0: Yeah, so that's basically what we want to talk about this week. What are some of those blind spots? What, how do, how are we supposed to live in light of the idea that we know that there are those things that. Just culturally, culturally, we're blind to right, and so basically, I want to I want to ask you right off right off the hop. As as you've been growing in your faith, that you're obviously you've been a Christian for a long time, pastor for a long time. What are some of the things that you think your congregation, your, our church, where are some of those cultural blind spots? We can just throw out a couple of them and then can we kind of break them down.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think so. There's one big one that you and I agree on that is kind of where I think we'll try to steer this conversation so i won't start there um i think so i I'll, a couple years ago i went to the um uh council for biblical manhood and womanhood uh pre-conference to together for the gospel and uh, they're talking about complementarianism and uh and just they basically said like even if you've been at your church for a long time and even if it's a pretty biblically sound church. Don't assume that your people are with you on gender and sexuality um, issues. And so I came back from that conference and within a a short amount of time uh, preached a series on biblical manhood and womanhood, uh, complementarianism, um, preached against homosexuality, transgenderism, um, gender fluidity, all that kind of stuff. I uh, talked about you know God created us male and female, uh, equal in value, different roles. And I was shocked. Um I'd been at the church for you know three and a half years at that point, which isn't a lot of time, but I mean, I was just shocked because you know these have been my convictions for a long time, and and I think the Bible's really clear on them. I was shocked. we lost families over it. um and I was shocked at how many people that's been difficult for. and i've been I've been shocked at how many kind of mature Christians have just been caught up in the the kind of cultural, um uh malaise towards uh these issues and 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 kind of feeling like well it's not hurting anybody you know loving them means accepting them and just just kind of a a cultural allowing the culture to define love and how we love them and all that kind of stuff which is why you know when i found when i was going through that series and we found uh tim bailey's the grace of shame i was i was really uh thankful because i I think he he kind of solidified um for me, the need to be hard on these issues. So I think that's definitely one cultural blind spot where you would have a whole lot of Christians who would, na- people who, I, let's say it this way, you would have a whole lot of people who claim to be Christians who would have no problem with a, a, a same-sex relationship. They, they don't view homosexuality as a sin. So something the Bible's clear on, right? Just like we would say the Bible seems pretty clear on um, the idea that Christians shouldn't own people as property because they're made in God's image. Um, and yet that was a cultural blind spot. I would say that now um, there are a whole lot of people who um, are fine with homosexuality or um, are you know bought into the feminism and the Me Too movement and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's one of them. I think so, so social justice is the other big one. Um, I think social justice, the the idea that the primary outworking of the gospel is the um, is I guess um, advancing the social issues that are important to somebody, um, whether that be. Um, taking care of the poor, um, all that kind of stuff. And, and again, there's all kinds of things in the Bible about taking care of the poor and the orphans and the widows and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, the Bible isn't a tool to be used to bring about social justice. The Bible actually has its own definition of justice. It's biblical justice. So those would be two kind of big cultural blind spots that I see. What are you thinking?
0: Yeah, I think, I think the one that, the one that was, has been sticking with me for a little while um, is the idea of retirement. Mm. And so I know we've we've talked about this before. It's a very, very cultural thing, and it's yeah. it's very much like in our culture we, we all mentally work with the goal of stopping to work. Right. Where we've never like there's no specific command in scripture that ever shows that stopping. If we look actually at our examples. Paul died before, like we don't yeah. we don't have any of the yeah. examples. Retirement
1: of, is martyrdom. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly, and I'm not saying I'm not saying stopping employment is wrong. I want to be very clear. Like um, Mike Wilkins, your mentor, always used to say, retirement is the wrong way to look at. it. It's redeployment. That's and right. And so I, I think I think this whole idea of like you stop work to golf to go on vacation more often, basically to live off the wealth that you've earned during your working life. Is is a blind spot in our churches and it makes us when we look at our and this is really what we want to talk about today is when we look at the people who profess Christ and then look at a group of people at a country club who don't profess Christ, we should see radical differences between their lifestyles right. and retirements one area where we don't. Right. No, and again, that's a blanket statement. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying everybody's like yeah. that, but I say John, the majority. John Piper
1: would say, you know, that the the proclivity to go in, and collect seashells, <laughs> right? Like, in, you know, he uses that analogy and don't waste your life, right? Don't waste your life on the beach collecting seashells. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, yeah, I think you're right, and I think that kind of gets us closer to where we kind of want to go with this episode, and that is just <clears throat> the whole idea that it seems as though the the motivators or the the end goal for Christians seems very similar to the end goal for non-Christians. And in our culture, so I know your wife is is uh, reading Radical by David Platt right now, and, and that to me that was a book that kind of changed a lot of this for me. Don't Waste Your Life by Piper was another one where you read some of these books that are like a slap across the face because they're so convicting, and you realize that In North America, we have adopted a view of Christianity where um, Jesus becomes like a part of our life, but we don't lay our whole lives down to him. And so it becomes, okay, so now what's changed now that I become a Christian? Well, you know, you can give all the theological answers. You received a new heart and all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, you know, the unspoken belief, I think, in most Christians' minds is, well, now I go to church on Sundays and I don't do certain things and I do some things and I give a little bit of money to the church and I volunteer there and, you know, I got my ticket to heaven and that's the the, the thing. But, like, the foundational fundamental trajectory or, like— um, goal of our lives hasn't changed. And I and and you know we we talked about this a lot when I was preaching through Acts is to become a Christian is to get swept up in the gospel of the kingdom, right? Your your the goal of your life is no longer to build your own kingdom but to build the kingdom of God. And so it it ought to make us look radically different to anybody else, right? The world's the American dream, as you were saying before we started this episode, it's not for Christians. It's yes. not our dream
0: no exactly the american dreams for them yeah um so it's not for us the the idea that we need to chase some some level of comfort some level of stuff at, and and things like that is not our goal yeah those things can be used as tools to prog- to like uh, increase our, uh, increase what is our goal like we have a home i have a home you have a home yep. but we use those things as tools to to build the kingdom we bring our neighbors in we feed feed our neighbors those things it's not it's not a uh, it's not a call to just get rid of everything it's a call right. to use the things that god is giving you for god Right. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, you know, there's there's that kind of saying, I I don't even remember where I first heard it, but everybody will recognize it is that the kind of North American view of things is like he who dies with the most toys wins. Right. And, And we really do have this mentality that sounds like a silly way to say it. But like we have this mentality that life is about accumulating cool stuff. Right better TVs, better f- smartphones, better vehicles, better houses, you know, better wives. You know. <laughs> right. Because, because we, we still, we live in that culture and this is why divorce is so high and all that kind of stuff, because it's all about upgrades. And, uh, and so we, we live in this culture where we're trying to amass things that make life easier and more enjoyable and more pleasurable. And, you know, the more comfort that we accumulate the 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 more successful we are, and I mean you see this in all of our desire to be famous and rich and all that kind of stuff, um, and I I think I don't think Christians look radically different enough from the world in this area.
0: Yeah, that, I complete I completely agree, and it's one of those things like like we were saying it's it's not an abolish everything live wartime type type thing, but when you look at your life compared to your neighbor's life it should look radically different in terms of where your money goes, where your time goes, where your, where your where your focus is. And i i've been i know my wife's been reading radical and i've read i've read that book, but we've been praying about this for years. And then you know, you you've preached through acts and it's it's the idea that we're we're called to a very radical different lifestyle. Right. We're called to give up everything for Christ. And so that means everything that we're doing needs to be for him. He can't like you said, I love the, I love when you put it, he can't be an add-on to our lives. He has to be our entire life because the only thing that gives us life is Christ. If we don't if he isn't the focal point of everything we're doing, then we don't do we really have him, right? right. Um, and that's kind of the the idea that we we want to kind of get at is that we can have these things that show us we can at- chase this normal goal of like the American dream, as you kind of said, education, all these things, because we're used to doing it. Does that make sense? Instead yep. of rather than just being like with a goal in mind, living on mission in that, in those things. And that's right. really what we kind of wanted to point out. Um, and so like I, I, one of the things I was always I thinking about is that we need to stop judging people based on, on those criterias then. Right. And so when we're thinking about, Oh, well, what makes somebody successful in, in our society in in the world right now how much money they have how much what abil- abilities they have how good looking they are which you know I'm, that's why everybody likes me i'm just kidding. <laughs> and how much education they have right like etc etc like how good they are at sports how good they are at music and we give those people status yeah. like we like those people more or yeah. we
1: like those people less because they're not good at it. we well i think all of those things point to Finding your identity in something other than Christ, right? I think that's the key to getting at there. And everybody does this to some degree. Like there are a lot of parents who find their identity in their kids, right? They, they, their value, their worth is directly related to how well-adjusted, well-mannered, you know, uh, well-behaved their kids are. Or people who tie their um, th- like their employment status, right? Like, are they the boss? Are they a business owner? Are they they and they tie their identity to these things. there For some people, it's and you see these people, the gym rats, right? Who who like they they lose their minds if they miss a protein shake or they miss a you know a leg day or something. No, they don't. N- not if nobody it's, skips a, n- leg <laughs> day. <laughs> yeah, nobody. Not if it's leg day. But um, you know, and and so. We, we tie our identity to, you know, how good looking I am, how good I am at this, um, you know, how good my kids are, how good my marriage is, you know, how much I serve in the church, um, how much money I make, how much money I save, what my house looks like, you know, and the, the list could go on and on and on, right? But anytime we root our identity to something other than Christ, right, if, we are, if we're pr- primarily getting our value by anything other than being a child of God— then it's idolatry and so i think i think that's kind of at the root cause of 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 this whole thing and i i've always maintained that like the people in the world around us and the neighbors and the coworkers, and the friends and the family they should know what we're all about without having to ask and i'm shocked at how many people i talk to who like the people at work don't know they're a christian or, you know, their neighbors, they've never invited their their neighbors to church or something like that. And they're trying to say, well, I don't even know if they know, you know, that we're a Christian. They, I mean, they see us leave on Sunday mornings. And it's like, you don't have to ask. We, we always joke about this, right? Like, uh, how do you know how do you know if somebody uh, does uh, work, works out at CrossFit? They'll
0: tell you. Yeah, they'll tell you. <laughs> they'll tell
1: you, right? Exactly. Um, but, I mean, the truth is, you don't have to figure out, you don't have to, like, it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out whether or not somebody is a Leafs fan or a Canadiens fan, right? Or a, a Jays fan or a Tigers fan or a Yankees fan, Lord forbid, um, you know, and so what's important to people bubbles to the surface. It's e- it's easy to see what somebody's life is about if you even know them a little bit, because that's what they're all about. That's what they're pouring their energy into. That's what they're talking about. That's what's on the tip of their tongue, right? Right. And as Christians, I just don't see enough Christians where Christianity has become the thing that they're obsessed about, the thing that 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 steers every other aspect of their lives.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it's we we need to become ruthless about this in our lives. Like, so fu- identify the blind spots, root them out, and we can do this by just simply think think of your life like a job interview. If you were sitting down and somebody was like, "What are you all about?" Tell me the five key things about Nate Wright. Tell me the five key things about Chris Poots. Tell me the five key things about whoever you are that's listening. Those should all be tied to Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm on mission. I'm on. You know what I mean, I'm right. building a. Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, get, you get the point. I, five things. I just picked a number, but yeah. I mean, they should be able to fill that chart out for you based on the way you're way you're looking way you're living your life. And I and I think one of the things that's hurt the north american churches that's not evident to people to people here and so when i look at it i look at some of the people around me and they're like oh he's a big soccer fan or he's people that they're they're big into this kind of kind of thing this is what's important to them like you said they should be able to identify the fact that christianity is the main thing that's focused to us which probably means that they think we're weird yeah. <laughs> and so, like, yeah. And we, we made a joke. Somebody actually cross politic, our, our friends at cross politic tagged, actually it was Toby Sumter tagged, tagged yeah. um, was like, if you can't trust your pastor unless he's had the cops called on him, he's I don't, like, <laughs> like all these super negative things. Right. right. Unless I, he's
1: been, uh, unless he's been accused of being like a, uh, uh, what's the, uh, accused of a hate crime or something. I hate can't hate crimes, like yeah, yeah. all
0: these things that w- would happen just by preaching the gospel, like plainly. I, was th- I, I thought I was like, yeah, that's great for our pastors, but that should just be our people in our church. Like, you think about it, it's like, oh, well, not to go Star Wars on people, but what Obi-Wan Kenobi was thought of as a weird guy because he lived alone, he was an old hermit because he had his beliefs. We almost have to have the same kind of thing where people are like, kind of look at us and be like, oh, that he's a bit weird, he's one of those Christians because they do different things and, and whatnot. We don't see enough of that in our society because it's easy to be a Christian in our society. It's easy to add Christ onto our lives rather than Christ be our entire life. And
1: it's, I actually just want to read this because I thought it was, I thought it was good what you're referencing and I thought it fit in well with what we knew we were going to talk about today. And that is, so Toby uh, throws it up. He says, when will Christians realize that a pastor or a Christian ministry should not be trusted until or unless it has been accused of being a hate group, death threats, malicious slander, hate blogs, and at least one visit from the police should be a prerequisite for Christian leadership. And it's funny because, um, you know, so he got, obviously, he got some pushback. And Toby likes to say things in a provocative way to kind of draw uh, a response. Um, And he got a little bit of pushback um, from one person in particular who basically said, like, you know, okay, like, you've been helpful to me. But, like, what are you you really saying here? And I thought his response was was really, really good. And so I'll just read that. And he says, uh, thanks for your question. Um, I think you've actually already answered yourself fairly well. You say that Christians should expect to be hated, and this goes for Christian leaders double. And add to this a society and culture becoming increasingly God-hating. So putting all that together, should we trust a man aspiring to be an elder who can think of no time in his life in which he has had a collision with unbelief? Should we trust a ministry that is consistently given all the community awards and never attacked or slandered. As I noted above in another comment, you can flee. Uh, you can file this under the words of Jesus: "Woe to you when men speak well, When all men speak well of you," from Luke 6. I don't think Jesus meant to make uh, this grounds for defrocking a man from ministry, but I do think it should cause us seriously to wonder whether a man or a ministry is doing effective work if people don't hate them. I th- like, I, I think that's just good clarity. And I think, I think especially in the culture, the the outraged culture we live in right now, I think that's spot on.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's glorious because, and especially
1: when we think about the fact that
0: we're, yeah, as you've, you've mentioned so often, there is no neutrality. We're either building the kingdom or we're not building the kingdom. Right. We're either gaining ground or we're receding ground. Yeah, And so we all need to be the kind of people who are who are having people say those kind of things about us? Yeah, because we're pushing back against against the darkness in this world.
1: Right, and I think the other thing is have you ever have you ever been around somebody who eats really really healthy, and just being around them makes you feel guilty about how badly you eat? Have you ever had that?
0: Basically, every meal.
1: <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, like, okay, so I say, I say that, like, there's lots of people who are super health conscious and, you know, they're they're eating, like, you know, really, really well. You're food and
0: shaming me right <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm a hate group. Um, but, uh, and, so what's interesting is that sometimes for me, at least I, sometimes I feel convicted, you know, when you're around somebody who eats so well and you're just like, you know, you're out with your buddies or whatever, you're having some wings and beer and, and, you know, they they're, they're having some water or light beer and no wings, you know, whatever the case may be. Sometimes when you're around somebody, um, the spirit can convict you. And I'm not saying the spirit convicts us of eating poorly. I think Christians should eat chicken wings and and drink beer, but <clears throat> That's a different topic for a different day. Um, but I use that as an analogy just to say that sometimes just being around people who are radically different than us, the, the, God can use that to convict us of, of blind spots in our own lives, right? And um, this happened for me actually with language when I was a young Christian. And when I when I became a Christian, it took me a while to kind of clean up my language. And uh, there were a few people that I would hang out with, and it's not like they condemned me whenever I would use bad language they just never used it and just being around somebody who didn't use the same sort of language as i i as i was convicted me and caused me to change and i think the thing is is that we have to remember though that that's the spirit doing a work in us causing us to change around those kinds of people because that'll always have one of two reactions there's always gonna be that person who's upset with the guy not eating wings. There's always gonna be that guy who's upset with the guy not swearing, who who kind of accuses him and and kind of like because they don't like the feeling of conviction. They don't like the the feeling of, of the threat. So I say all that to say we ought to be living radical lives, we ought to be living um, lives building the kingdom. And there's gonna be and that's gonna affect people in one of two ways. And this is Second Corinthians two, right? That you know, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and we are the aroma uh, to God. And it says, to, to those who are perishing, the aroma of death, and to those who are being saved, an aroma of life. The reaction, the reality is, is the way we live our lives ought to elicit one of two reactions. Either it should help people who are being saved further, either in their sanctification or helping them, you know, be the means to being justified, being saved, or... Or it should anger people. Those are the only two reactions. So Biblically speaking, those are the only two reactions to living a gospel-centered life and, and proclaiming the gospel, either hatred or humility. And those are the reactions we see, you know, Christ, um, those are the reactions. People People always say, oh, Jesus was so kind, and all that kind of stuff. Well, he also called the Pharisees a brood of vipers, and we've gone through all this before. The, the reality is, is that there's always one of two reactions, and the reaction is either— animosity and hatred or it's humility and embracing. And I think we should live in such a way that we are spurring those kinds of reactions from the people around us. And if we're not, we're doing something wrong.
0: Absolutely. There's a reason, there's a reason all of our heroes of the faith died. Yeah. There's a reason the world raged so much against Christ that they killed him. There's a reason that they raged so much against Paul that they killed him. Yeah. That Peter was killed. You know what I mean? These are historical facts, right? Yeah. The reason is because, you said it. Nobody likes to be convicted. Particularly, nobody likes to be convicted by the way you live an eternal life on in a, in yeah. your in your world around you. And the thing that at, is at the back of everybody's mind at all times is the fact that we are the one inescapable truth is that everybody dies. Yeah, that's the one thing that Christians, non Christians, everybody on this on this planet agrees in agrees with is that we we die at some point. We're mortal why Christianity confronts that so much is the fact that we live in a way that knows that we're not, that we're eternal, that when we die, that's not the end for us. And that, and that fundamentally pushes against people, against people. As you said, it makes that aroma of death that they don't want to talk about. They don't want to think about come to the forefront and they're going to hate us for it. Yeah. So we need to be the kind of people who show, who display that to the world. And we do that by looking radically different than them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I I have a a small piece of uh, application then, I think, from this, and it's just it's kind of specific to the time that we're living in. We're living in a time of like radical cultural divide. Right. And I think we've been divided over the wrong things. We've been divided into political camps left and right. (laughs) And uh, and I don't think Christians should allow themselves um, There's a recent uh, thing that Tim Keller wrote, where, uh, and he wrote, you know, Christians don't fit into either of the two-party systems. And it was actually a really brutal article, not so much for what it said, but for what it didn't say. I, I, I think Joe Boot recently took uh, Keller to task for it, um, and I, I agree with everything Joe Boot said. But, um, but there is a grain of truth to that, and that is that we don't fit into the right or the left camp. We, we, we are of a different kingdom. We are of a different value system. We are working towards something different. And I think one, one application point that I would put out to Christians is one of the ways you should look different, one of the ways you should look weird, is you should not lose your mind over what the other side does, right? You, you, like in a world that's right now just addicted to wrath, addicted to rage and outrage, who want to be um, outraged more than they want to be right— they're they're addicted to the adrenaline of of hating somebody, and right now for the left it's Trump, and for the right it's the left, <laughs> and uh, and you know it's why we see such ridiculous comments from you know Hillary Clinton recently, who said like there's no there's no reasoning with these people, and she means conservative, she means Republicans, because they don't agree with our value system. And and you see this on the right and the left. And so as a Christian, you should not be one of the people who is outraged on either side. We should be washed with the calm peace of knowing that there's a sovereign God who's in control of it all. And the truth is, like like Psalm 2 says, our, our job is not to get—so uh, Psalm 2 says— um, you know uh, that the nations rage in vain and the god of heaven laughs at them and uh and so our job is not to be on the right or the left being enraged at one another our job is to be standing be- behind the god of heaven laughing <laughs> at all those who are raging knowing that a sovereign god has this under control so that's just one kind of application point so that's one way that you should look different as a christian don't get caught in the outrage machine um, be people of peace and peacemakers and that doesn't mean we don't fight for and and here's the thing like Christians one of the radical weird thing about Christians is that we're called to fight a battle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and ideas which means that our enemies aren't Democrats our enemies aren't liberals our enemies aren't the other side our enemy is a spiritual enemy and it's the ideologies that don't fall captive to King Jesus and so We don't win a battle by beating somebody else in a debate. We win a battle by dying to ourselves and sharing the gospel and turning an enemy into a friend. And I think, you know, we live in a culture that wants to demonize their enemies and you can't convert a demon, right? So we can't demonize our our enemies. We we need to see the the principalities and powers and ideas behind them. That's what we're waging war against. So that's just one very simple application point for what we're trying to say is that you should look different. You you aren't part of the rage machine on Facebook. Don't get enraged. Don't 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 sit back with your tribe and throw stones at the other side. Uh, win them to your cause by um, the way that you live or let them get enraged with you and then just laugh along with the God of heaven who holds them all in derision. Amen. All right, is that we good? (laughs) Yeah, we we
0: said we wanted to keep these next few uh, a little bit shorter, so I think that's perfect. All
1: right, well, thanks for joining the Rebels. Uh, Like and share this episode and we'll see you next week.